Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. And welcome back, everybody. Hey, it's another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast, and once again, it's me, Jason. I am your host. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate all of you that uh, come back every week and uh, download the episodes or go over to Podcast Garden and listen to it and stream it straight from that source. Uh, either Whatever way you're listening to it, whether it's iTunes, Google, uh, any of those me- other methods out there, I really appreciate you and appreciate that you're following along the show. Uh, you know, If you like what you hear, please leave us a message. Leave us a, a rating. It helps get the word out. Uh, you know, of course, I'm not opposed to if you feel like sharing an episode or two with friends, put it up on your Facebook or Twitter or whatever and let people know about us. It's going to be the, the best way we have to share episodes and share the word, you know, with other people. Hey, I heard about this author on the Sample Chapter podcast and he's got this book and I really liked it. Here's the episode and I'm going to go check him out and buy his book, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the whole idea behind the show and uh, I'm really having a good time with it. Uh, I do want to give a, you know, my usual thank you to Podcast Garden. Podcast Garden is the place to go if you want to start your own podcast, if you want to find other shows. They do have them listed in there under different categories and by type, by genre. Uh, lots and lots of shows on there. Some really cool ones I've been listening to here lately as well. Don't forget that uh, if you want to start your own show, Podcast Garden will let you begin for free. So, podcastgarden.com, check it out. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so by email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or you can come over to our Facebook page. Uh, We've got a nice little area there full of pictures and past episodes always up on on there. Anytime one of our authors that have been on recently or, well, so far any of our authors that have come on, if they're having some kind of a deal or something and I catch wind of it, I'm happy to share that deal on there. So. You know, I try to be a nice little one one stop place to uh, to go to. Yeah, there there was a a deal just this past week with Michael Anderley, our our guest last week. So our guest this week, I'm also gonna make sure and hop over. I don't know about any specials yet. Uh, he hasn't told me to give me any insight, but I know I'm looking forward to hop over and and uh, grab his one of his books. So who is it? Well, our guest this week is a very special one to me. Uh, his name is. Ryan J. Pelton. Now, you may have heard of him before. He is the host of his own show, The Prolific Writer Podcast. He's on the air for over a year. Uh, he's had a, had a really great show. It's very informational for writers and uh, very encouraging to all writers out there. And uh, I, I was blessed to actually uh, get to come on his show last year. He interviewed me, and uh, it was really great. Uh, I made the mistake of saying, oh, yeah, my book's getting ready to come out. Well, well, you know, you guys haven't heard my book on this show yet, so obviously you can tell that hasn't happened yet. But uh, it, it is going to be coming out soon, I can tell you today, as of March 5th. It uh, It is coming very soon. So anyway, but back to Ryan. Uh, you know, I got to be on his show last year, and you know, things came around, and uh, now i got my own show, and I definitely wanted to make sure and reach out to Ryan and bring him on. He is the author of currently 12 books does fiction non-fiction uh, he's got some children's books in the pipe that he's working on 
he writes he's got a series that you're going to hear about we we discuss in this episode uh, he's got a series about an antique dealer who's moonlights as an assassin um, more kind of a vigilante i guess would be the the best way to put it but uh but yeah, he's called The Antique Assassin. It's a good book. It's a good series. I really encourage you to go pick up one. Uh, he uh, Ryan also really opened up to us on some personal things, on some, you know, how he gets into a story, how he shares a character's depth and uh, despair. And, you know, it was really heartfelt. And uh, it was unexpected. You know, he shared some information I did not know. And our shares information that I did not know, and uh, you know, I, I, we're you're in for a really good episode. So, uh, hey, enough of Jason talking about it. Let's get you on over there with Ryan J. Pelton. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine. Ryan Pelton. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate the uh, making the time. Yeah, it, well, it's my pleasure, and uh, you know, it's nice to uh, nice to get to reverse this a little bit and and uh, <laughs> you over here on my show for a change. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it is nice. I, I actually like being on this side more than the other side. So, <laughs> now it's I less it's less pressure. You do have to do all the work. So, yeah, I understand all the pressures you've got on a uh, on a weekly show. This is really something. Well, uh, tell the uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What what do you do? Yeah, my name's uh, Ryan uh, Pelton, Ryan J. Pelton, and uh, I mean, first and foremost, I'm happily married to my wife Christy uh, for about 17 years. Uh, we have four children, three boys and a girl. Just had a girl about a month ago, so not getting much sleep. Um, been uh, been writing for quite a few years. I uh, have 12, I think, books out, nonfiction and fiction. And uh, I'm also a pastor and love uh, church I get to serve. And uh, yeah, I love writing, love reading, and love helping people write as well. So um, that's kind of a little bit how Jason and I connected and um, any any quasi-wisdom I can share or help I can share, I'm, I'm always uh, up for that. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, well, you've, you've definitely been an inspiration and given me a lot of really good things to think about and consider in my own writing. You know, the idea with this show is to spread the word about authors and uh, get more readers out there to listen to. So I mean, it's, hopefully I'm kind of returning the favor to so many people who have been uh, so so good to me through the years. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, like you said, you, you are a very busy man. You said with your, with your day job, the growing family, I'm, I should add, with the new baby, uh, you got your own podcast. Where do you, where do you find time to write? Yeah, I, that's always the challenge. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things I have on my uh, email list is I, I throw out this question at, at the end of one of my little courses that I that I offer, and I say, you know, what's your biggest challenge in writing? And it's interesting. I think the number one response to that question, what's your biggest challenge in writing, is finding the time. <laughs> and it's it's usually the same. You know, hey, I got a family, I got an eighty hour week job, I got two jobs, I have you know all these things going on, uh, sickness, you name it. Uh, and you know, one of the things that I think I've, I've been learning as, as a writer for quite a few years now is, you know, everybody works differently. And so I, I think, you know, even giving advice isn't always helpful because different seasons of life, different life situations. So I never want to say, you know, this is the way you do it. And, uh, but one little phrase that I've kind of used over the years is just learning how to write in the cracks of your life. 
And, uh, and so writing in the cracks of your life is, is really about number one, understanding kind of the life season that you're in. Um, so I, you know, I'm also a, a podcaster, interview a lot of writers and authors and, um, you know, and so I'll have people that are retired and, you know, they're obviously don't have children in the home. And so their writing is going to look differently. You know, I have people that are single and, you know, people that have four children or five children, people that have, you know, stressful day jobs. And so, so you're kind of identifying, you know, what life stage are you in? What life season are you in? You know, are you healthy? Are you sick? Are you, you know, you have young kids, you know, where you're not getting sleep. Um, so your, your writing time is going to, going to look different. Um, but one of the things I've learned though, writing in the cracks of your life is even when you can find, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, let's say over lunch, or, um, I know for me, just the way I'm wired and the way my life is right now, I do a lot of writing late in the evening. So it could be, you know, nine o'clock to 11 o'clock or something. Um, is you can get a lot of writing done. Um, it's just learning how to be consistent. And so I know for me, it changes a lot. Sometimes it's early morning, sometimes it's late at night, but, but you know, if I can consistently get, you know, a half hour to an hour to two hours in, you know, sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's not. Um, but you know, over time, what happens is you, you begin to realize, wow, I have quite a few words on the page. I have, you know, quite a few chapters. And next thing you know, you got 12 book books under your belt and you're like, how did I even find the time to do this? Um, and I think there's also a little bit of a myth that, you know, the majority of writers are, they're not full time and they're not doing this to make a living. I mean, even most, you know, famous writers historically weren't able to do it full time. They worked full time jobs. And so they all had the same struggle. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're distracted, you know, we have a lot of, you know, Netflix and Hulu and, you know, cable and, and internet and all that social media. Uh, but I think if you're disciplined and you, you make it a priority and it's something you really love to do, I think you'll find the time to do it. And so it's not about writing, you know, 10 hours a day, but just finding, you know, half hour here, hour here, two hours there. And, and yeah, over time, you'll be, you'll be surprised how much work you can get done. That's, uh, there's no lie. I can definitely testify to that. My, my writing schedule before I picked up a second job was, was much easier, and, but it was learning how to deal with that after a couple of months getting used mm-hmm. to that schedule and, and uh, it, it's funny I feel like I'm writing better now than I was before so mm-hmm. uh, now you've got uh, one of your series that you're working on uh, the Antique Assassin series is up to is it four books or is there a fifth one yeah let's see how many do I have uh, I, I have three full novels um, and then I have a novella so yeah four in the series I'm working on a fifth uh, novella uh, actually novel. Um, and so that one probably won't be ready for a long time, but, um, but I have it kind of outlined in my head and started on that one. But yeah, so, um, yeah, so four, three full novels and one novella and they're all in the same series and, um, they, and they don't, they don't work. They're not, um, you know, cliffhangers. They're all kind of separate stories. So you can read them in any order and you won't get lost. And I will say the novella actually is a kind of origin story. So it kind of gives a little bit of feel about some of the main characters um, and that's like before all the other stories. Okay. Yeah. And it's such a unique idea. Uh, <laughs> an, an antique collector uh, slash picker that moonlights as an assassin. Now, as a pastor, where did that idea come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you're not supposed to write about killing and murder and all these things. So, uh, so this is actually a funny story. And people have asked me this and I love answering this question because this is just how my mind works. So I'll give you a couple, a couple of background things that, um, were for where the the idea came from. And so, so one thing is I love I love crime fiction. I always have. Um, I've read it for you know my, most of my adult life. Um, and 
I've always loved mysteries and, you know, crime shows, Law and Order, just shows like that, kind of, you know, the whodunits and, and whatnot. And I was going through a phase where I was watching uh, <laughs> two different shows at the same time. And one was Justified. I don't know if you remember that show, but it came out a few years ago. And uh, it's it's set in West Virginia. And it's a great show if you, if you haven't checked it out. It's great. I think it's on Amazon Prime still. Um, but uh, but Justified was set in this, you know, crime. it's a crime show about a, a U.S. marshal in West Virginia. And it's a small town. You know, all these families are connected and things like that. And then I was watching uh, American Pickers, if you've ever watched that show, where it's a, a bunch of guys who go out on the highways and byways and, you know, pick, you know, antiques and sell them in their store. And, and I, I loved both those shows. And this was this is quite a few years ago. Um, and my first uh, antique assassin novel was actually a NaNoWriMo um, National Novel Writing Month uh, novel where I just had this kind of silly idea. Now, it started as a silly idea, but then what happened was I was tired of reading so many crime books uh, that were set in L.A. and New York and big cities. It just, you know, every show set in L.A., you know, in, in New York and whatnot. I mean, for obvious reasons. Um, but I just thought, you know, what what would happen if you took kind of an ordinary guy, a picker, an antique collector, and you stuck him in a fictional town in Missouri where, where it's set, LeClaire, Missouri, and uh, and he became an assassin. And, uh, you know, and then you kind of find this kind of underbelly of this city, fictional city, and all the crime and all the things that are going on. And so so all the stories are kind of set in um, this little town called LeClaire uh, where there's mob bosses and, you know, um, serial killers and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was just kind of an interesting um, concept. You know, it, it's it's a fast-paced, fun read. It's not meant to be, you know, super profound. But, but it kind of reveals just that idea that, you know, dark things happen all over the place, whether it's L.A. or some small town or – you know, and, and there are things that go on that we don't realize. Um, and so it was kind of just a fun, fun start. And then once I, I started writing, I just really enjoyed the characters and kept writing more in the series and uh, people seemed to, to like it. And, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of a fun kind of small town hero kind of story. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And even though I knew LeClaire, Missouri was not a real place, you had details in roads and, and <laughs> highways. And I live in the area, so I kept thinking, like, oh, wait, so that's going to be over here. Wait a minute. No, there's nothing there. Darn it. This is not. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? Right. <laughs> it kept pulling me out. I was like, oh, okay. No, this is not the not a real town. I got to. Yeah. Yeah. Don't follow the highways. You might get lost. It, <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> now, your main character there, Dexter, he, he's quite the complex guy. Uh, I mean, he's dealing with you know, life after a tragedy, and he went into some really dark places, uh, but he also comes, he's back and forth with it. Uh, how did you how did you find uh, ways to uh, as as a writer and then as a reader listening to this or reading into it how did you find ways to get into those dark places mm -hmm. well you know uh, you know sometimes they they say you know writing the best best way to write or the, the 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 person you know the best is yourself and so a lot of our our stories that we write are a lot about our own lives our own hardships our own suffering um, and so actually um, people that know me well, um, know my story and actually my, so we have four kids and our second child, our daughter, Samantha actually passed away after four days. And, uh, you know, that was in 2000, what was that? 2009. And so, uh, you know, this was, a, I wrote the book a few years after this, but so, uh, those that haven't obviously read the book, you've read the book, but you know, Dexter loses, I won't spoil the whole story, but you know, loses his, his son and his wife in the story. And, uh, and so I played with that a little bit, you know, we lost our daughter. And so, um, it was actually, you know, it was a very therapeutic thing to write this story because, you know, I was still dealing, you know, still am, I mean, in, in many ways 
with the loss of a child. But, um, but you know, it was, it was a very healthy kind of thing. And I think that's why the story becomes kind of this, this guy who's really struggling with his own demons and realizing, you know, life's fragile and, you know, things don't always go the way, uh, that you want them to, you know, in the story, he's, you know, he's got this business, this antique business that's not going well. You know, he loses his child, he loses his wife, and he's, you know, kind of dealing with that. He's got some addiction <laughs> issues and things like that. And so, you know, I think so some of that was just writing that character was kind of just writing my own version of dealing with my own, you know, struggle now. You know, I don't, thankfully, don't have a drug addiction, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it, uh, it, it kind of just lent itself well to kind of dealing with that. And, you know, what would a guy do? that had lost his family and isn't sure what to do. It feels like his whole world is shattered. Um, and you know, and then he kind of goes to this, um, and I, I don't know if you, if this came out and you're, you know, the way I wrote it, or at least the way it kind of came out at the end was, you know, he felt, he feels, um, in all the books, he feels justified in being kind of the hero, you know, when there's bad guys that the police can't stop and, he, he, he doesn't see a problem with trying to do something about it. He sees it kind of as, as this righteous thing, this, this, you know, mission of justice and him and his friend, John, you know, um, so they're not just like the savage, you know, killers that want to just, you know, destroy everybody. It's actually more about, this is a good thing and we need to stop these people because they're wreaking havoc in our community or whatever. So, you know, there's some of that going back and forth. Like I have to do this, you know, why do I have to do this? <laughs> you know, why do we do anything? Right. So, yeah, so I think it was just a lot of, you know, it was kind of therapy. It was, it was just dealing with my own, you know, pain and, and struggle and, and, uh, and it was really good. I, I've actually talked about this a lot in some articles I've written and, um, podcasts just about how writing can be such a, a good place of therapy to kind of voice your own opinions and, uh, voice your own pain and kind of write your own story. Um, and the, the things you're going through, um, you know, one of the, um, not to give anything away, but the the third book actually in the series actually deals with some some kind of racist topics, and I actually I wrote that on purpose because I feel like fiction you can talk about things a little bit easier sometimes, you know, that are going on in our world, um, and you know, just it was, the storyline has some you know about this kind of uh, racist cult leader that's kind of wreaking havoc in the town and stuff, and so it was just another way to kind of deal with you know how do we deal with these these struggles that we face in our world and and kind of do it through story and do it through characters and you know and also do it through humor i mean there's some humor in the books too so uh so yeah all that i'm glad that that, that was a good way for you to you know work through that and uh, you know, i'm glad that worked out well for you mm-hmm. um so uh, what are you working on i, I know uh, back in november you were working on some books and you got uh, you had i think two projects what all you got coming up yeah, uh, quite a quite a few things now. Um, this year has kind of been an interesting year. Just we, my wife and I. Um, I don't know what some people call them, but you know, it's kind of a our fourth child was kind of an oopsie. Um, so um, let's just say it wasn't planned. It wasn't in our you know five year plan. Um, but obviously, we love our daughter. We wouldn't change her for the world. But uh, so you know, as far as the writing, you know, some projects kind of took a different turn when my wife got pregnant. Um, but so what, what I've kind of decided this year and this, you know, and this actually could be advice if it helps anybody, um, was I realized I had a lot of projects that just I hadn't really finished up and uh, hadn't really put a bow on yet. And so this year's kind of been going back in and kind of finishing some things I started. And so um, so I have a couple things. Uh, one, I'm, I'm working on a, a writing book um, that I've been kind of chipping away at for, for quite a bit um, called The Prolific Writer. And um, it's actually um, based a lot on just 
you know, guys like yourself, people I've interviewed and people I've talked to and things I've learned along the way of just how can we become prolific writers? Um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to write a hundred books, but you know, consistently writing, you know, creating good work and writing good stories and just some things I've learned along the way. So I got that one coming out. Um, and then I got two, uh, this is kind of fun. I, I got two kids books, fiction books that, um, I wrote, during NaNoWriMo with my son, my oldest son, Noah. And uh, he he kind of gave me uh, most of the ideas. They're actually two different books. They're both about 25,000 words, 30,000 words or so. And he gave me kind of the ideas. And so I've been working on those, um, trying to get those done. I do have, as I mentioned, one in the Antique Assassin series, the fifth book. Um, that's actually the main character, Dexter O'Kane, is actually going to leave Missouri and go to L.A., which should be fun. Um, because he'll just be a total fish out of water because he's not, he's kind of the small town uh, guy. And I got a fun, kind of a fun crime story with him in LA. <laughs> it's already, I just laugh thinking about it. And so, yeah, working on that too. And I got a couple other things I won't, I won't go into right now, but uh, yeah, just, just trying to kind of wrap up some projects I've started in that, that are different places of completion. Um, and that's been kind of fun, you know, just kind of going back in and realizing, Hey, there's a lot of stuff here that I, that's, you know, pretty good. And I think I can make something into it. So well, see what, see what my editors say, but you know, <laughs> that's so. really cool. Uh, well, I mean, I I just had my first uh, children's author, uh, well, a young adult children's author, a few weeks ago. Uh, so this would be great. Uh, you know, and I'm always looking forward to one of these days getting a nonfiction writer on here as well. So, uh, yep. You know, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but uh, maybe I can get you back sometime and talk about yep. one of these books. Yeah, I yeah I got I mean I always have nonfiction stuff. I think I had like six things come out last year, so I was a little little fried after that. But um, fiction and nonfiction, so I got I got one book I nonfiction, another one I've been working on for a long time. That I'm just like, uh, it's just you know how that goes. It's <laughs> like, am I gonna do it? Am I not gonna do it? I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun. All right. Well, uh, would you be willing to come back sometime? Oh yeah, love to. Ah, fantastic. Well, uh, well, tell people where can they where can they find you? Uh, I know you got an email list. Uh, what tell people where to where to find Ryan Pelton? Yeah, uh, you know the the easiest way is just ryanjpelton.com, and uh, that, that's kind of my my website blog. Um, you know, some of my books are on there. And then I, if you are a writer, um, I know there's probably readers and writers that listen to your show. The prolificwriter.net is also another place you can find me, and that's actually my um, kind of writing website with the podcast, uh, the prolific writer podcast. And I write articles on there and stuff about specifically about writing. So, um, but you know, either one, you can find me, you can sign up for email list, um, buy a book, whatever I'm on Amazon. Um, I write, I write nonfiction. Ryan J Pelton is nonfiction. And then fiction is RJ Pelton. Very easy to find. So nothing to hide. There's no weird names out there. It's just me. So if you Fantastic. see my face, you'll see it everywhere. So. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. All right. Well, uh, let's see. If I remember correctly, we're going to be hearing from uh, one of your other books, uh, one of your favorite books, if I, if I understand. Uh, yeah. Walk, right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that and the, uh, the sample chapter that we're going to hear today. Yeah, so the the boardwalk is affectionately called the book. That's my favorite book. I think it's my best book that nobody buys. And so, you know, some say is it because it's just a standalone story? That might be it. You know, it's not part of a series. But the the boardwalk is uh, is kind of inspired by if you if anyone's read Stephen King's Joyland, uh, that's kind of set with a kind of mystery um, story set on a um, at an amusement park kind of setting. Uh, mine's very different than that, but it's kind of uh, inspired by that book a little bit 
Um, and partly because I grew up in, uh, I grew up in California, Southern California, um, by the ocean. And so I, I said a story kind of some of my favorite things was going to the ocean, going to the beach as a kid and then, um, loved going to amusement parks. And so I made, I made up kind of a fictional, um, mini amusement park on a pier in, in, uh, California. And the story is about a, a kid who's in college and he's, um, just trying to find his way, you know? kind of a coming of age story. Um, but there's some crime elements to it. The owner of the music park where he ends up working, uh, is shady and doing some things behind the scenes and there's some kind of supernatural elements to it. Um, so I find every story I write, it seems to have some kind of crime thing going on or some, um, so this isn't like literary fiction. It actually does have kind of a mystery crime, um, thing woven through it that, that anyone that picks it up will find. And if you like, you know, beaches and you like amusement parks and, you know, mysteries and scary stuff there's some fun kind of a little bit of everything for everyone so so that's a little bit about the book all right well I, i'm i'm can't wait to hear it and i can't wait to go grab a copy for myself so ryan thank you so much for coming on the show ladies and gentlemen ryan pelton with the boardwalk prologue the cancer july 1 2016 i don't know if anyone will ever read this journal my therapist thought it'd be a good idea to write my struggles with the cancer I wish I had a clever name for it, but I know it sucks. When you get to my age, most people get it, whatever it is. I'm not much of a writer and not very reflective these days. If words scrambled and incoherent, blame the chemotherapy. Kids, maybe you'll find something entertaining. Tell your own rugrats around a table during Thanksgiving dinner. One can hope. That's how I'd like to imagine it before I can only pee through a tube. People tell me to have hope. The doctors are confident we can beat this thing, whatever this thing is. Not sure how they know because the big guy in the sky is in control of when I check out. I want to go peacefully and quietly. My friend William got the cancer and had to shit in a bag. <laughs> Hope it doesn't get to that point. You get older and see the twists and turns of life. Relationships shipwrecked, promises broken, fulfillments and joys, and everything in between. Like when you were born, Sherry. The nurses gasped when they saw your chubby body in the delivery room. I'll never forget that day. One day I laid on the therapist's couch and she challenged me to write about a significant event during my 65 years of life. She said there's power in getting uh, shit out in the open, my, my paraphrase. Oh, how I know. When you live long, there are many experiences that make top of the list, but one experience in particular will always rise to the top. Something I have never shared, at least not until now. The summer of 1979 changed everything. Details blur with passing of time. I'll do my best getting the meaty parts right. 79 is when I danced between high school and college, trying to find a place in the world. The 70s were still a fun time in America when the pace felt right. Cars were manlier, Facebook was not a thing, Netflix binging was 30 years away, and the internet didn't waste years of your life. We lived in a small beach town in California called Oceanside. The post-World War II boom of suburban economic flourishing was waning in the midst of an oil crisis, an impending housing market crash of the 1980s. That's what caused your mom and I to move to Texas in 1986. The boardwalk on the shores of Sea Lion Beach was an attempt to fight the struggling tides of a community that was no longer a destination, a place to have fun, spend money, and hang out. I got a job working this, the snack shack and wanted to kill myself most days. But the summer of 1979 forever etched in the deep recesses of my mind. I met a girl, Sherry, which you'll hear more about later. You now understand, sweetie, where your name came from. Sorry if I never told you. Sherry was a good thing. Despite her confusing signals, I wanted to marry her, which I thought was God's plan, or at least my plan. Meeting Sherry led to some dark stuff, things I've never talked about and still don't know what to think. Not even my therapist knows. I think it explains a lot of how my life turned out. I don't know if what happened in the summer of 1979 ruined my life. Still, it led me down a path riddled with regrets, 
three wives being one. Well, here's my story, the best I can tell it. I know little and have little wisdom to offer, but whoever will read this story, remember one thing, be careful on the Ferris wheel, the snack shack. In the summer of 1979, the boardwalk became the battleground of young hearts at Sea Lion Beach, mine included. Pause long enough and I can smell the nacho cheese sauce that introduced me to the love of my life. Our small crew of love-hungry, hormone-ridden teenage boys with incomplete mustaches and short list of dates experienced the coldness of rejection amidst the warm California sun. My anthem, Tom Petty's I Need to Know, spinning on repeat for most of the summer. I'd do anything to have Sherry Lewis, even if it killed me. That's not hyperbole or clever metaphor. I needed to know if Sherry Lewis was into me. Never could tell. She had that flirty personality where you didn't know if you'd be making out later at the Twin or watching her brother's baseball game at Heritage Park as friends. The cheese sauce dripped down my elbows, down the side of my white Ocean Pacific shorts, and onto the floor of the snack shack was not helping the cause. I didn't see her that day, but I could smell her. A lavender perfume tickled my nose, or maybe it was shampoo, not sure. 30 years is a blink and a blur when hair is now growing in wrong places and fighting the same insecurities originating on the shores of Sea Lion Beach. It felt like yesterday when I announced to the world my woman problems. Not much has changed. Just ask my three ex-wives. On that Friday in August, what I call S-Day, I cobbled together coherent words that would at least make me appear dateable. My confidence shattered when a reflection off a napkin dispenser revealed a volcanic crater forming on the bridge of my nose, a common summer occurrence caused by the elixir of daily sweat and sunscreen. An angelic voice spoke from behind the greasy counter of the shack. Looks like you're having trouble with the cheese pump. Sherry leaned over the counter and handed me a pile of napkins. I gave a glance in her direction and almost stopped breathing. At least that's how I remember it. Sherry's face was unblemished from pimples and scarring unlike my own. I thanked her for the napkins and wondered how to be cool, sliding a pool of fake yellow cheese off my right leg onto the floor. I cupped another clump of cheese with my hands as it poured over the sides of the napkins. If this damn thing, I said, glancing up to see if Sherry had already run away, screaming down the beach. I tilted my head to the left and didn't make eye contact and hoped she didn't see the pimple crater. If this damn thing jams up, I meant to say jams up again, I mumbled. Any semblance of coolness pooled up on the cheese-soaked concrete floor of the snack shack, the summer job from hell. And there you go. That's uh, that's another story in the books for the Sample Chapter Podcast. Ryan J. Pelton reading from his book, The Boardwalk. Hey, thanks for coming back again, everybody. Make sure you go and uh, like our show, give us a rating, and we'll be back again next week. Bye.